Warriors and the National League champions, the Chicago Cubs. Men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Al Helper with Bill Slater and Bill Coram greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company. Well, for the fourth game of the 1945 World Series here at Wrigley Field in Chicago, we have something that uh, may turn out to be not to our liking because the skies right now are very dark, more than threatening, and they're very overcast. The temperature is in the 70s, and we have a slight wind blowing from behind home plate out towards center field. But rain has been falling since about 1 o'clock, and of course, it necessitates our waiting slightly to see whether or not this ball game is actually going to get underway. And of course, the thousands that have poured in here to Wrigley Field in Chicago are sincerely hoping that this ball game, the first in this 45 series, here in the city of Chicago, will get underway at beautiful Wrigley Field. And now, ladies and gentlemen, before this ball game does get underway, I should like to turn right around here and introduce to you once more a very favorite personality of mine, and I know the thousands of you listening in. I think when I say Uncle Billy Corn, who writes a lot of sports, and a lot of people really read what Billy writes, well, uh, let's get him in here and just see exactly how he feels about being here in Chicago. Uncle Bill Corn? Well, thank you, Al. I feel that same way about you. And also, they say a fella is no older than he feels. Maybe that he's no older than he pitches, too. We'll know more about that this afternoon when Pop Ray Prim gets out there to chuck them up for the Cubs against the Tigers in a ball game that it seems to me the Tigers just about have to win to stay in the running for this series. Of course, that necessarily isn't so because Steve O'Neill will have Newhauser and Virgil Fire Trucks, his two big aces, to come in with in the next two games if the Cubs should win this one. But it will mean that the best he can get with them then will be a tie, and that wouldn't look so good for the Detroit Hopes. So I think that Paul Dizzy Trout, the Indiana Hoosier with the blazing fastball, or at least usually is blazing, it hasn't been so much as it when he got tired in the late season this year, will have to do something about stopping these rampaging Cubs this afternoon, or they are maybe trouble for the Tigers. Now that band down there just walked in the corner of the field, they got tin hats on, white tin hats, American Legion band, apparently, they turn them over, they'd get a little water in them, which is the way the soldiers of course used them in this war but I don't believe that this ball game is going to have to be called off as it looks at the moment I'm no weather prophet it's misting pretty hard there are umbrellas up here in the stands but I don't think that if the rain doesn't get harder that they'll call the game yesterday Senator Happy Chandler having to make his first field decision as High Commissioner of Baseball, arrived at Briggs Stadium in Detroit a little bit late. When there was some question of calling off the game, he'd been to a luncheon. But he was prompting on the job here today. As a matter of fact, I got to ride out sort of in his police escort at one motorcycle policeman with his car, and our taxi got in behind it, and we got here in good shape. I also see Ford Frick, president of the National League, walking around down there on the field, and all the brass hats of baseball will be here to make this decision. It's a day very similar to the one in Detroit, except that the, yesterday, except that the rain held off there and is not holding off here at the moment, but it's a very slow and soft mist. Now, if this game does have to be called off, it won't be the first time that a Detroit and Cub or Chicago World Series has been postponed because of darkness. That game started, but back in 1907, now they're going onto the field to take the cover off, and just as we guessed, they're going to start this game all right. 
The umpires are down there. The boys are coming out of the dugouts to warm up. The crowd also warms up with a big cheer, and we're going to have this fourth game. I started to say that in 1907, they had to call a game in this field because of darkness. And of also, we all remember that game that they called in New York in 1922 when the Yankees and the Giants were playing because of lightness, because umpire Hillebrand was looking at a big sun as big as a big double pumpkin up there. But for some reason, he called the game off at the end of the 10th inning, if my memory serves. And Judge Landis, a matter man I never saw, finally wound up giving the money back to the Red Cross, or rather giving it to the Red Cross, all the returns from that game. So we're going to have the fourth game here with Richards and Trout, the battery for Detroit, and Livingston and Ray Prim, the old veteran southpaw for the Cubs, and I believe we're going to have a real good ball game played under pretty good conditions because I believe this rain, rain is going away and not come back another day during this series. Anyhow, that's Corum's column for the moment, but I'll be back after the game to tell you how things look to me from the press box. Thank you, Bill. Let us give you the starting lineups prior to the start of this game. For the Detroit Tigers and the other Vistas here this afternoon, here is their starting array. Hitting in the number one spot for Steve O'Neill's Tigers will be Skeeter Webb, Jimmy Webb, the shortstop. Hitting in the number two spot for Detroit will be second baseman Eddie Mayo. Mayo at second base and hitting second. Hitting number three is Roger Duck Kramer in center field. Hitting number four for Detroit in the cleanup spot will be Hank Greenberg playing in left field. Greenberg will clean up hitting in the number four spot and play left field. Hitting number five will be Roy Cullenbine, the switch hitter, and he'll be playing in right field. Cullenbine in right field. Hitting in the number six spot for Detroit will be their big first baseman, Rudy York. York will hit sixth for Detroit. Hitting seventh will be the little Tennessee gentleman, Jimmy Outlaw. Jimmy Outlaw at third base will hit number seven. This afternoon, leading in the number eight spot will be the Detroit catcher, Paul Richards, the tall Texan. He'll be hitting eighth. And hitting ninth will be the pitcher, Dizzy Trout. Trout will hit ninth. He's won 18 games this year and lost 15. On the other side of the fence for the Chicago Cubs, and they are one up in this series, as it stands two to one in favor of the homestanding Chicago Cubs, Stanley Hack, their third baseman, will lead off. Hack leading off and playing at third base. Then comes Don Johnson, the second baseman. Johnson at second base. Hitting in the number three spot is Harry Peanuts-Lowry, the left fielder. Lowry in left field for Chicago. Hitting in the number four spot is the National League's leading hitter, Phil Cavaretta, the Chicago first baseman. Cavaretta hitting in the number four spot for Chicago and playing at first base. Hitting fifth will be their fast Andy Pathko, very fleet of foot, and playing in center field. Andy Pathko in center and hitting number five for Chicago. Hitting in the number six slot will be right fielder Bill Nicholson. Nicholson in right field. Hitting in the number seven spot is their catcher, Mickey Livingston. Livingston catching. And hitting in the number eight spot is shortstop Roy Hughes. Hughes playing at short for Chicago. And their pitcher is the veteran Ray Prim, the 39-year-older, who certainly has been doing a great job for Chicago this year. He has won 13 ball games and lost eight, but he was a late starter, and it was the latter portion of the season that proved that Ray Prim had the stuff that Chicago wanted this year. So the opposing pitchers for this afternoon's ball game, and it's clearing now here at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and we're going to get underway here very shortly. The two teams aren't warming up now. The umpires have made their appearance. I will give them to you. 
At the plate will be National League umpire Jock O'Conlon. At first base will be American League umpire Bill Summers. At second base will be Lou Jordan of the National League. And Art Passarella of the American League will be the umpire at third. And now it gives me great pleasure to wave in my colleague on this broadcast, Bill Slater. Bill, how do you feel about Wrigley Field in Chicago? Oh, well, I feel just the same as everyone does, Al. I feel mighty good. As a matter of fact, at this particular moment, the batting orders are being announced over the loudspeaker, which you can probably hear in the background, and that will indicate to you that this game may be delayed three or four minutes in getting underway. The canvas has been completely removed and rolled out of sight now, and the opposing pitchers are working very hard on warming up. Dizzy Trout is warming up along the first baseline, and Jimmy Miller from Celeste, Texas, oddly enough, is catching him. Right down in front of us here, left-handed Ray Prim is completing his warm-up pitches, and he has been caught by big red smorgasbord Smith. Red Smith, you know, is a line coach of the New York Giant football team, and he's a baseball coach for the Chicago Cubs. He had already taken up his job with the football Giants, and then when the Cubs got into the World Series, why Charlie Grimm called him back and said, come on back, we need you. So Red has been warming up Ray Prim down there, and I think Livingston is moving over to take up the job now. Now, this is, of course, a Chicago ball game this afternoon. And as the World Series throng moved in here to be joined by the local baseball enthusiasts, the game took on a definite flavor of Chicago. And Chicago, the rousing and energetic inland capital of America, imparts its spirit and its flavor to anything that happens here, of course, as you know. The band would be playing jazz and would be jazzing and jitterbugging around the outfield there as they played Hold That Tiger. And then they break into Hail, Hail, the gang's all here. Let's uh, focus the glasses a little bit on Paul Howard uh, Dizzy Trout, who is still pitching with that right-handed throwing arm of his down just opposite first base. Trout is, as everybody in baseball knows, one of the most colorful figures in all baseball today. They call him Dizzy because there are points of resemblance between him and Dizzy Dean. He is, for one thing, a very garrulous fella. He's talking, talking, talking. You'd think he was a radio announcer. And as a matter of fact, too, he's very confident. But that confidence of Dizzy Trout's is based on his ability to perform. That ability has been somewhat handicapped lately because he's had trouble with his back. Back in July, he spent 10 days in the hospital. And uh, the excellent record that he piled up last year when he won 27 games for Detroit, which is an amazing record. The year before last, he won 20. That record's been shaved down to 18 victories this year. That's pretty good going, too, as far as that goes. Uh, this fellow had a daughter born to him, did Paul Dizzy Trout, on the very first day he pitched this year. And now the tremendous roar from the background means the Cubs are taking the field. But Dizzy Trout, the guy we're talking about, is still down there warming up. And he looks very fit today. And talking to him yesterday in Detroit, he said, I can beat those Cubs. And he'll be doing his best to do it, of course. Now the Cubs are in the field, and in just a moment, we're going to have our national anthem. Everyone rises, the band will play, and we are all going to sing our national anthem, ladies and gentlemen.
Now there are the Cubs in the field. Mickey Livingston is behind the plate. At first is Phil Cabaretta. At second base is Don Johnson. At shortstop is Roy Hughes. At third base is Smiling Stanhack. In left field is Harry Lowry. In center field is Andy Pafko. And out in right field is Big Bill Nicholson. And now Ray Prim has come out of the dugout. He's striding to the mound as the 39-year-old veteran of the baseball wars. And this, of course, is his first World Series start. And this is a high moment in the baseball life of Ray Prim. Now down there at third in the coaching box for the Tigers is stout, sturdy Steve O'Neill, the redoubtable manager of the Detroit Tigers. O'Neill, as you know, comes from Manuka, Pennsylvania. Over there at first, coaching there for the Tigers is Art Mills, who was born up in Utica, New York. The umpires are in their place. Jack O'Connell of the National League is behind the plate. Summers of the American League is umpiring at first. At second base is silver-haired Lou Jordan. And at third base, umpiring is Art Passarella. And now Chandler tosses out Commissioner Chandler, Senator Albert B. Chandler of Kentucky, tosses out the first ball. And it is tossed back to him by the plate umpire, Jack O'Connell. And Happy makes a perfect catch. He's seated in the box down toward first base, just off to the right of the catcher. And now the skies become grayer over Chicago, and they hang a little bit lower. And what looked like a clearing sky a couple of moments ago, I think maybe changed just a trifle. But nonetheless, this ball game is about to start. Here comes the first batter out of the dugout for the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers are inhabiting the dugout down the first baseline. That's where the visitors stay here at Wrigley Field. And of course, the homestanding Chicago Cubs are in the dugout down the third baseline. And now the cry comes, play ball. And the shortstop of the Detroit Tigers steps up there to bat right-handed. Webb has had three hits and 12 times up in this series. He hits right-handed. He's the star golf-playing son-in-law of manager Steve O'Neill of the Tigers. And Jimmy Skeeter Webb steps in there. The tall, slender fellow from Mississippi, who weighs only 150 pounds, takes a look out at the mound. And there's 39-year-old Ray Prim kicking the rubber out there and getting ready to go with that left arm of his. Now he bends way over. Here comes the first pitch. Webb takes it. It's a call strike. One strike on Skeeter Webb. Webb crowds the plate just a trifle. Wears a big number 28 on his back. Prim bends very low in his windup. Delivers. It's high and outside. Ball one. One ball, one strike on Skeeter Webb. Prim will pitch with considerable deliberation. He's a control pitcher. Pitches to spots. Taking lots of time now. Here it comes. It's fouled off by Webb. Rolls up against the screen back here. That's rolling down off the screen and screen, and I do think they have that habit here of whistling the ball off the screen after it's been fouled. The count on Webb is one ball, two strikes. Prim rubs up the new ball very carefully. Bends way over in his pitching motion, cuts it loose. Webb takes it outside, ball two. Two balls, two strikes on Webb. The first batter for Detroit in the fourth game of the 1945 World Series. And the Cubs lead, of course, as you know, two games to one. The outfield plays Webb straight away, not too deep. Prim delivers, Webb swings on it. There's a ground ball down to third. It's taken by Stan Hack to throw to first. It's in time. Webb is out. Webb out third to first with the dependable 36-year-old veteran Stan Hack playing the ball perfectly. Now here's Eddie Mayo coming up, the second baseman, to be batter number two for Detroit. Eddie bats left-handed, as you know, and he's gone two for ten so far in this season. 
Warming up down in the bullpen for Chicago. Looks like big on Paul Derringer. Mayo, the left-handed hitter, is ready. From delivers him. Fast call strike. Ball had a nice hook on it. Left the inside corner on Eddie Mayo. Mayo hails from Clifton, New Jersey. Got a wife and a very nice family there. Here it comes. Mayo swings on it, slaps it out in the center field. In comes Papco on a nice running catch. That was a very hot line drive off the bat of Eddie Mayo. It went out into center field, and Papco had to charge in. Fleet as the breeze to come in and take that on the run. Or the out. Papco's defensive work in the center garden has been a big factor in behalf of the Cubs so far. Two away for Detroit now on the top of the first, and here's Doc Kramer, another left-handed hitter. Doc is the veteran center fielder of the Detroit Tigers. He's gone three for ten in the series. Here's a pitch turn that swung on, hit right back to the mound. Krim has it to throw the first, and lots of time, and Kramer is out. So the Tigers go down in order in the top of the first inning, and the score is Chicago nothing, Detroit nothing. In an exciting game during the pennant fight, Tiger pitcher Dizzy Trout picked up a hot grounder and fired it back to catcher Richards, nailing a runner, sliding home. Presto, catcher Richards relayed the ball to York at first, beating the batter. Now for a double play in shaving comfort, just as unusual, give your whiskers the old one-two, the quick, easy, all-Gillette way. One, soften them up in jig time with Gillette shaving cream, lather or brushless. Two, whisk them off easy as whistling with today's Gillette Blue Blade in your Gillette razor. What shaves you get, how quick, how easy, how smooth and refreshing. Both Gillette Brushless and Gillette Lather are top-notch beard softeners that flank at the barrel of water against your face, giving every bristle a thorough soaking. Men enjoy the extra luxury of shaving this quicker, easier, all Gillette way. And remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. All right, the last half of the first inning. And popular Stan Hack, the star third baseman for all these many years for the Chicago Cubs, steps up there. And on the mound is the big, husky, confident, Dizzy Trout. And the announcement of Hack at the plate draws a roar from the crowd. Behind the plate is Paul Richards, and Hack is ready to go. First pitch to him is a little outside for a ball. Trout, broad-shouldered and big, stands 6'3", weighs 200. Hack has gone 6 for 14 with two doubles so far. Swings on one, there's a ground ball down the shortstop. Skeeter Webb has it, the throw is into the dirt, but picked up nicely by Rudy York for the out. Big kicker for Rudy, looked mighty good on that. The throw was off to his right. He scooped it up, backhanded with his glove. Kept his foot on first and retired Hack. Now here's Don Johnson. Johnson bats right-handed. Takes the first pitch inside, a fastball, very fast. Johnson hasn't hit the last two games. First game, he went two for five. Takes another one very fast. That's a called strike. Trout looks in there. Trout wastes very little time on the mound. As soon as he has his signal from Richards, he fogs it in. Here it comes. It's swung on. Hit down to first. York bobbles it, picks it up, chases everybody away, steps on first ahead of Johnson, and Johnson is out to York unassisted. Two out for Chicago on the last of the first. No score yet. A big hand for Peanuts Lowry, the next hitter. Lowry bats right-handed. 
Lowry did all right by himself yesterday. He went two for four, one of them a double. The day before yesterday, on Thursday, he went two for four, and then on the opening day Wednesday, he went 0 for four. So that's what Lowry has done as he steps in here in the fourth game. He's an ex-GI as Peanuts. And like the two men who preceded him, he lives in California. In fact, five of these Cubs, five of their nine today, live in California. Lowry bats right-handed. Pitch to him is high. Ball one. Two out, nobody on if you just tuned in. We're in the last of the first inning. No score in the game yet. Trout's got light brown hair. He's big man, big Indiana Hoosier. Lowry swings on one, bloops it out into right field. In comes the right fielder. Columbine makes a nice running catch. So that's all for Chicago in the last half of the first inning. They go down in order, as did the Detroit Tigers in the top of the first inning. So at the end of a full inning of play, there's nothing across in any department in this fourth game of the 1945 World Series. And now out comes the catcher, Mickey Livingston. He's standing behind the plate waiting for Ray Prim, who started off in excellent style to get himself out there and get underway. All the talk around the lobbies of the jam-packed hotels today has been, how do you think old Ray will do? And do you think Dizzy Trout's back is better? Well, you can't pass any verdict, of course, up to this point. Only one inning has been played. But Prim looked very sharp, and Dizzy Trout looked mighty sharp, too. Prim is going to be put to a bit of a test right now as the first batter comes up in the top of the second inning, and because that's Mr. Hank Greenberg. Greenberg has driven in three of the four runs that have been scored so far by Detroit in this World Series. And, of course, he's the popular favorite, mainly so because of that long ball hitting of his. Greenberg is there, ready now. Stands 6'5", weighs 215. He's a big man. Served over four years slightly in the United States Army in this war. In fact, Greenberg, as you know, was in before Pearl Harbor. Then he was discharged, and then he enlisted. Now big Captain Hank is in there. He got a good round of applause, as you noticed, from the Chicago crowd. And a friend can pitch Greenberg as perfectly as Paso did yesterday, of course, Paso did down your everything perfectly. He won't have any trouble. Here it comes. Greenberg takes it. It's a high and inside pitch at the bat shoulder. Greenberg stands straight up. Presents a pretty good-sized target. Greenberg delivers. Slow and inside this time. That's ball two. Greenberg looks down to Steve O'Neill, coaching at third. Out Steve from Manuka. Primrose, Prim, bends way over. That was a fast call strike. That was a curve ball. Midway between the waist and knees, over the outside corner. Two balls, one strike on Hank Greenberg. The first batter for Detroit in the second inning. No score in the game. Prim labors. Put foul on the ground behind the catcher. That makes it two strikes on Greenberg. Chicago crowd simply holds its breath baited on every pitch to Big Hank Greenberg. And they probably keep track of the strikes on him with their heartbeats. Because he is, of course, the big Detroit menace. Two and two, Ray Prim has on him now. Now Prim bends way over when he winds up the levels. It's swung on, he struck him out.
Slim struck out Greenberg the first time he faced him. And of course, that was a deafening roar from the Chicago crowd. Well, anybody who can strike out Greenberg deserves a roar from anybody. Now, here's Roy Cullenbein, batting right-handed today against left-handed pitching. This is the first left-handed pitching that uh, the Cubs have put up there. So Cullenbein, all the rest of the time, has been batting left-handed. He hasn't hit yet in the series. This is his ninth time up. Swings on one. There's a high pop-up down toward first. Caparato is under it. He takes it easily for the out. And again, Cullenbein has turned back. Two away for Detroit in the top of the second. Here is Rudy York. And he is the only batter yesterday to get a hit off of Claude Passo. And as Bill Coram pointed out, there was a very odd twist to that. The last man to pitch a one-hitter in the World Series was Ed Roebuck, a Chicago Cub, back in 1906. And the only man that hit him was the opposing first baseman. That's just what happened to Passo yesterday. And this is the guy who did it, Rudy York, a right-handed batter. There's a fast call strike to Rudy. He turns around and looks at Jocko Conlon a little bit. One strike on big kickapoo. Rudy has gone two for ten so far in the series. Swings on that one, hits it back past the mound. It's fielded very nicely by Don Johnson. The throw to Caparata in plenty of time, and York is out. So that's all for Detroit in the top of the second, and again, they go down in order. At the end of an inning and a half of play, the score is nothing to nothing. Watching the game with us here today is Joe Cronin, the veteran player manager of the Boston Red Sox, who broke an ankle early in the season and had to stay on the sidelines for the first time in his career. Say, Joe, how did it feel not to be out there at shortstop? I didn't mind it much, Bill, for I saw mighty fancy pitching by Dave Ferris. Who has what it takes? Plenty of speed and swell control. Well, tell us, Joe, in your book, what does it take for a smooth, comfortable shaving? Why, the Gillette Blue Blade, of course. It's sharp, plenty sharp. And mighty easy shaving. I wouldn't think of using any other kind. Does that go for the rest of the boys on the club? It sure does. With the Red Sox, it's the Gillette Blue Blade almost to a man. Uh, thanks a lot, Joe Cronin. Fans, wherever men shave the world over, the Gillette Blue Blade gets the call. Remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now here's Cabaretta coming up. First fan up for the Cubs in the last of the second, and he gets a tremendous ovation from his home crowd. And this is his home crowd because he was born, grew up here. He started playing his baseball here when he was just a teenage kid. Bill Batts left-handed. There's a fast strike, but Dizzy Trout gets in on him. Cabaretta is just batting a cool 500 in this series, five for 10, one of them a homer. There's another call strike on him, and Trout was beautiful with those two pitches. Old Diz stands out there. He wastes no time at all getting off his stuff. Here it comes. Cavaretta takes it. It is called strike three. Struck him out on three pitch balls. Trout had a lot of stuff on those three pitches. Believe you me. Now the batter is Andy Papko. Papko bats right-handed. He hasn't hit in the last two ball games. Went three for four in the first one. Here's the pitch to him. Good for a call strike. That's four call strikes that uh, Dizzy Trout has whipped in there on Chicago batters in the last half of the second. Four in a row. Now Trout's taking a little more time getting off this next delivery. Winds up. Here it comes. Papko swings on it. Slaps it down toward first. It's knocked down by York. The throw to first is in time. 
York had trouble with it. It was a hard hit ball with a twist on it. He knocked it down, had to scamper to his right. Dizzy Trout was covering it first, and they got Pat Cole by half a stride. Very neat infielding. That's two out for Chicago in the last of the second. And here's bad Bill Nicholson. Nicholson leads all uh, players in this 1945 World Series and runs batted in. He's bashed in five of them. And there he is again with that characteristic picture that one will always associate with Bill Nicholson. Big husky gentleman from Maryland with his chin stuck out. Right out at that pitcher, swishing that bat back and forth. Even when he backs out of the batter's box as he did then, he took a couple of vicious swishes with the bat. Now he's ready to go. Trout pitches him, slow into the dirt, bounces up into the glove of Richards. Ball one. Outfield plays Nicholson about straight away, but very deep and right. Here it is. Good. Ball strike. Curveball. Nip the inside corner, waist high on Nicholson. Up to this point, Trout has an amazing assortment of stuff. He cuts it loose. It's good. That one was so fast you could barely see it. It was just above the knees. A hard, fast one. Oh, boy. Trout had every ounce of that 200-pound frame of his back of that pitch. One ball, two strikes on Nicholson. Trout works. Nicholson swings, strikes out on a low curve. So Trout struck out two of them in the last half of the second inning. And again, there's nothing across for the Chicago Cubs. In fact, that's the way it's been through all stanzas of these first two innings. And this thing looks very tight and very tense. And while we're waiting for the top of the third inning, which will bring us Jimmy Outlaw, Paul Richards, and Dizzy Trout himself, uh, suppose we pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago serving the West. The third inning is about to get underway. And seated down below us, just behind home plate, are the blind and vision-impaired veterans from Dibble General Hospital out in California who have been the guests all through the series. And again today, they're using their earphones that have been provided for them. And we've just received word that Glenn Staines of Detroit, who operates the well-known Pathfinder Project for the Blind, has offered four of his famed-trained Doberman Pinscher lead dogs to the blinded war veterans who are attending the series. I think that's swell. All right, here's inning number three. Nothing to nothing to score. No runs, no hits. There have been no errors. There have been nobody left on bases. There's Outlaw. Little Jimmy has had two hits out of 11 times up in the series. He's a right-handed batter. And he's ready to go. Pretty fast on his feet, that little guy. Now Ray Prim warming to his task. Winds up, delivers, Outlaw takes a high pitch for ball one. Prim bends way over low when he winds up. That swinging left hand almost hits the ground. Here it is, Outlaw swings, misses. That was a beautiful curve. That's the story of Prim. He's got control. Puts that ball where he wants to put it. When you hit it, you're hitting his ball, not yours. 
Outlaw takes that one. A little high and outside. That's ball two. One ball. Two balls, rather, and one strike. Brim taking a lot of time. Delivers. Outlaw swings on it. Hit down to shortstop. Up with it is Roy Hughes. The throw over to Cabarrette is in time. A nice stretch by Phil Cabarrette, incidentally. Takes care of Outlaw. Shortstop to first. Now here's Paul Richards. This will be Richards' eighth time at bat in the series. He hasn't hit as yet. He's a tall, right-handed batter. He's a sports writer in the wintertime, incidentally, down in Texas. Trim gets ready. Here it comes to Richards. He swings on it, beats it into the ground, foul. Strike one. It rolls back to the screen. Richards has an odd stance at the plate. That was being discussed on the train coming in from Detroit last night. That's due to a severe knee injury that he suffered when he was quite young. So he's had to stand this way at the plate. It isn't too unusual, except he doesn't crouch very much. His feet are pretty even. Then pitches, Richard swings on it. There's a fly ball going into left field. Peanuts Lowry is over to his right, camped under it now, and he's got it. Two out. Now the batter is Dizzy Trout himself. There he comes, walking from the dugout and walking very rapidly. Walks forward on his toes a little. That's Dizzy. Trout bats right-handed. And don't sell him short as a hitter, as a matter of fact. This season, he got 25 hits out of 101 times up for a batting average of 248. Last year, he hit 271. Mixes in homers and long hit balls at times. That's Diz. That pitch to him is low. Prim knows about Trout. He'll be working to him very carefully. Prim probably got some tips from Hank Roy, who came over from the American League and used to pitch a lot to Trout. Trout swings on that one, hits it down right into the glove of Hack. That was a very hot line drive. Hack threw his glove up to the left, held the ball, and practically rode it. Stuck in there, and that's all for Detroit now in the top of the third. Nothing across for them. So at the end of two and a half innings, the score is Detroit nothing, Chicago nothing. Well, now, some men have the knack of saying a lot in a few words, and Joe Cronin, the veteran manager of the Boston Red Sox, is one of them. When he told you last inning that the Gillette Blue Blade has what it takes for quick, easy shaving, well, he said a mouthful. Fans, the Gillette Blue Blade is sharp, plenty sharp. More than that, it has the smoothest finished edges ever produced. But here's something that Joe Cronin didn't mention. Those edges are hard enough to cut glass. Yes, you actually can cut glass with today's Gillette Blue Blade. Now, men, edges of glass cut cutting hardness stay sharp for one comfortable shave after another. That's why the Gillette Blue Blade far outlasts ordinary blades and saves you money. Now, here's the whole point of my story. When you can enjoy tops in shaving luxury and save money, too, well, that's something. So remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now here's Mickey Livingston up. Trout pitches him, and it's a fast call strike. Mickey stands in there, batting right-handed. So far in the uh, series, he's gone three for eight. Swings on that one, and it's slapped out into left field for a hit. Greenberg is chasing it deep out there. And Livingston, after a long turn at first, goes back to first, and it's a single, the first hit of the ball game. Mickey Livingston did it. He broke the ice. 
That's the first hit of the game. Livingston was on at first. And now a little bit of time is called while some uh, bats and towels that are piled up outside of the dugout of the Tigers are removed. And here's Roy Hughes, who didn't hit up until yesterday, but yesterday got a single to go one for nine in the series. He batted in a run yesterday. Roy bats right-handed. There's a throw over to first. Livingston gets back. That's Trout for you. We'll watch those base runners. Hughes is ready. Pitch is way outside. Looked like a pitch out, but no throw to first. That's ball one on Roy Hughes. This Hughes was born in Cincinnati, but he lives out in Los Angeles. Pitch to him is an attempted bunt that's missed, and the ball was good anyway. It's a strike. One ball, one strike on Roy Hughes. Tom is scheduled to hit next. Livingston leads off first. There's the throw at the plate. There's a bunt back to the mound. Trout has it. The play is going to be at second, and it's good. And the throw back to first is not in time. So Hughes' intended sacrifice results in a force out on Livingston at second. Trout being very alert, coming down off the mound and to his left, grabbing that ball and whipping it to second. He may have twisted an ankle on the play. I'm not sure. He's walking over toward the first baseline now, toward the dugout. He turned very sharply. Trout is walking very rapidly now over toward the stands, and Steve O'Neill comes out to intercept him. Trout goes over and knocks his spikes against the brick wall there. If you're scoring, Livingston was out at second. Pitcher to shortstop. It's one to six the way we score. And on the play, as Hughes went in there with the throw going from Skeeter Webb back to Rudy York, and an attempt to get Hughes there, which they did not succeed in. Apparently first base was kicked a little loose too, so first base is being glued down a little bit tighter. I think they've put a new strap on it. And Trout's all right. He just apparently had an impulse to walk over there toward the uh, wall and kick his foot against some bricks, which is what he did. He's back on the mound now and has asked permission for a few warm-up pitches. And Bill Summers, the first base umpire, signals that first base has been nailed down substantially. And so here we go again. One out, Roy Hughes, who forced Livingston at second, is on at first. And here's Prima. Now Trout stretches. Prim bats right-handed. Bunts one down toward first. York has it. And the play is going to be at first, where Eddie Mayo is covering. York grabbed the ball, looked at second, but thought he didn't have time to get Hughes there. So for Prim, that's a sacrifice. And he is out, three to four. First baseman to second baseman, covering at first. That moved Hughes down to second, and up comes Stanley Hack. Hack went out on a ground ball to the shortstop. Skeeter Webby's first time up. Now Webb calls time while he picks up Roy Hughes' glove that was parked in on the infield and throws it out of the way. Now the pressure will be on Hack. Hack has been one of the best of the Cub hitters so far in the series. Swings on that one, it's a foul right back into the screen. Strike one. Mickey Livingston, eager on those base paths as, as the Cubs have been throughout the series, takes a long lead down there toward third. Two out. A runner at second. It's Hughes that's leading down off second. Hughes. Livingston was forced. There's Mayo running behind Hughes, but there's no throw. 
friendly Chicago crowd shouted their warning to Mr. Roy Hughes. Now Trout's ready to pitch again to Hack. He does so. Hack hits it on the ground. Down to third base. Outlaw has it. The throw to first is good. Scooped up out of the dirt nicely by York. So Hack is out. Third to first. And that is all for Chicago. A threat in the top of the third. No runs. One hit. One base runner left on. And there were no errors. That's the last of the third inning. And the score is still nothing to nothing. And that was the first hit of the ball game coming there in the last of the third inning by Livingston to break the ice. Krim has given up. No hits up to this point. And the top of the Tiger batting order will be coming up here at the top of the fourth inning. The Tigers so far have gone down in order. Three up and three down in each inning. Scores nothing to nothing. And Krim, who is up at bat in the last of the third inning, walks slowly out to the mound now. He's ready to pitch to Mickey Livingston. Somebody's being paged on the loudspeaker. And I think they're going to put another new strap on first base. Here comes the groundskeeper out with another strap, and Bill Summers is there. He's going to supervise the adjustment of another new strap on at first base. But you know, right in the thick of the fray here, it's very difficult to make any predictions as to how the tide of battle is going to turn in this thrilling fourth game of this 45 World Series. But you can tell one thing, you've got a couple of pitchers who are in the prime out there today. A lot always depends on whether a pitcher is having a good day or one of his less good days. But both the 39-year-old veteran Ray Prim, who's warming up out there now while we wait to get the strap adjusted on first base, both Prim and Dizzy Trout seem to be in their good days. So that means for you and for me and for the throngs gathered here in Wrigley Field, one of those thrilling struggles in which uh, Maybe just some little break will decide the ball game, or maybe there'll be an explosion. But there has been none so far. The nearest thing to a threat, as we told you, came there in the last half of the third inning. On a hit by Livingston, Livingston was forced by Hughes, who tried to sacrifice. Hughes was on, and Quinn sacrificed him, down to second. And then Hack came up and grounded out to the third baseman, his opposite number, Jimmy Outlaw. The Cubs are wearing the home uniform, the white uniform, and the Tigers have switched over to the traveling gray. And these Cub uniforms today are brand spanking new. They've never been worn before. They're still working on first base out there, which gives us a chance to look around the place here. And as you look down in the dugout of the Chicago Cubs, you see one of those great familiar figures of baseball down there. That's. Uh, Good old Andy Lotshaw, who for 25 years has been the trainer of the Cubs. And young Jimmy Shalikas, the interesting bat boy of the Cubs, is watching everything with five eyes in his face. Trainer Roy Forsyth is over in the dugout of the visiting Tigers. And little sandy-haired Gilbert Hoy has been brought down from his home in Detroit to act as bat boy for the Tigers here. Now first base seems to be all right. She has been securely affixed to Mother Earth. And we're ready for the start of hostilities at the beginning of inning number four. Skeeter Webb, the leadoff man, will be the first follow-up, starting the second batting around for the Detroit Tigers. Nothing to nothing is the score if you just tuned in. Ray Prim bends way over. Delivers to the right-handed hitter a fast call strike just below the shoulders. It nipped the outside corner. It looks as if Prim selects the spot where he's going to put it and then whips it there. Webb takes up when it's outside for a ball. One ball, one strike on Jimmy Webb. 
Slender and dark haired is Mr. Webb from Mississippi. Pitch claim is swung on. There's a ground ball, foul outside of third base. Two strikes. And in the gray skies, off behind the scoreboard there, floats a big airliner. We're about a mile straight ahead of us here from the tossing surface of Lake Michigan. Chicago. One and two on Webb. Here's the pitch. He swings on it. There's a ground ball down to Hack. He scoops it up beautifully at third and throws Webb out. That's Hack. That was old Stanley Camfield Hack at his best. That was a bounder, a slow one. He came in. He had the scoop on it just on the edge of the grass. Pretty difficult place to pick that ball up. But he got it. Flipped it over to cover at first. And that was all for Webb. One out for Detroit in the top of the fourth. And here's Eddie Mayo. That's left-handed. The left-handed pitcher, Ray Prim, delivers mail. Fast call strike. Mayo is two for 11 in the series up to this point. Prim working. Mayo started for it, but checked his swing just in time. It was just outside. Ball one. Mayo is an interesting character. As Bill Coram told you, he's inventing a sunglass for infielders. He's also taking a correspondence law course. He's busy. Pitch is low and outside to him. Ball two. Two balls, one strike. Prim working with considerable deliberation. He's taking his time. He's probably got a pattern in his mind of the kind of a game he wants to weave here. He's working hard on it. Now it occurs to him that he ought to have the rosin bag, so he turns around and picks that up. Rubs his left pitching hand on it. Two balls, one strike on Mayo. Now Mayo's a little tired of waiting, and he backs out of the batter's box. Uses his bat to knock the mud out of his spikes. Not too much mud, because the infield is in good shape. You pick up a little mud walking uh, outside of where the top hole was. Now Prim's ready, and here it comes to Mayo. Strike! Mayo didn't think that was coming in, but it hooked over there just above his knees. Two and two. You get the feeling that the crowd is getting tenser and tenser and maybe even a little more quiet, but more tense as time goes on. Prim delivers, outside. Ball three. Three and two, a full count. Now there's a stir in the crowd, because this is an important pitch. See if there will be a Detroit base runner. There hasn't been one yet. Pitch is low and outside, and Mayo is walked. And that's the first base runner for Detroit. Eddie is on. As we told you, Prim very seldom walks them. He's the control master. He only walked 23 men the whole season. Of course, the walking of Mayo the other day by Hank Wise was pretty uh, fatal. Let's see what happens now. Here's Doc Kramer up, left-handed batter. Pitch to Kramer, call strike, beauty, just below the waist, curve on the outside corner to the left-handed hitter. Kramer has had three hits out of 11 times up in the series to this point. He's driven in one run. Mayo leads off first. Then works, Kramer swings on it. It's a clean hit to right field. Here comes Nicholson in to field it. 
Mayo breaks his stride and holds up at second ahead of a beautiful throw by Nicholson. That was, of course, the first hit off Prem. Mayo, who is now at second and Kramer at first, are the first base runners that the Tigers have had. And the batter coming up is Greenberg. And out in the bullpen, down the left field line, big Paul Derringer is warming up for the Cubs. They've had a man working there practically all afternoon. That's part of Charlie Grimm's plan of management here in the series. But now, a specter of the game the day before yesterday looms as the skies brighten. But forwards are third because it's Greenberg at the bat. Big right-handed slugger. Swings on that one, hits it down towards third. It's going through into left field for a hit. Mayo is rounding third, heading to the plate, and he comes in to score unmolested. The throw is to third. Greenberg didn't slug it over the fence, but he got a solid, substantial hit to left field. Scored Mayo from second. Kramer went down to second on the play, and Greenberg is on at first, and the Tigers are in front now by a score of one to nothing. And that's the fourth run batted in out of the five the Tigers have scored to be credited to Mr. Greenberg. Now the batter is Cullenbein. Cullenbein to this point is 0 for 9 in the series. He asks the second base umpire, Jordan, to move uh, just out of his line of vision. Jordan obliges, moving over to his right. Cullen Bine, a switch hitter, is batting right-handed today instead of left-handed. Here's the pitch to him. He swings on it. A high foul comes back into the crowd. That's a strike. Tigers have scored here in the top of the fourth inning. One out. Greenberg, who drove in the run, is at first. And Kramer, who got a single to right for the first hit off Krim, is at second. Mayo, who has walked, scored. Twice he's been walked and scored in this series. Pitched Cullenbine is swung on, and it's hit down the third baseline, and it is fair. And here comes Kramer, rounding third, coming on in to score, and Greenberg holds up at third, and it is a double for Cullenbine down the left field line, just in fair territory. Now there's a bit of a discussion about it. A bit of a discussion here. Charlie Grimm comes out of the dugout, he's walking to the mound. He'll have something to say to Prim. Here in the top of the fourth, the Tigers have gone ahead two to nothing. A walk to Mayo with one out, a single by Kramer, a single by Greenberg, and now a double by Cullenbein. Cullenbein's first hit of the season. And Paul Derringer is coming in. Big Paul is coming in. That will be all for Krem. Krem, of course, taking no chances. We'll have a brief spell here, which will give us an opportunity to reconstruct what has happened here in the top of the fourth inning. As we told you just a couple of moments ago, but you'll want to etch this on your memory because it's two runs in a World Series ball game. The first batter up was Skeeter Webb. He was retired on a ground ball hit down to Hack. Hack making a very nice play, and that meant that 10 men in a row had been retired by Ray Prim. But Prim then walked Mayo. And uh, then hit. Greenberg hit, and Columbine double. That means two runs, and runners now at second and at third, and one out. So Grimm has lifted Prim, and here comes Derringer. 
Derringer for the season, 116 and lost 11. And here's a big veteran of the ball of this game of baseball, Big Paul Derringer. And when I say he's big, I speak advisedly because he stands 6'4 and he weighs 230 pounds. He's from Happy Chandler's home state. Born in Springfield, Kentucky. Been living up here in Chicago recently. Derringer's a right-hander, as you all know. So here is Big Paul Derringer. Now the first battery faces is Big Rudy York. And here's the situation, and it's no easy situation for Mr. Derringer. He has Greenberg menacing there at third. He has Cohenbein, who has just doubled, just inside of third base. At second, there's only one out, and the batter is York, and he'll be followed by Outlaw. York is going to be intentionally passed. The four pitch outs to York, loading up the bases, increasing the opportunity for a double play, of course. First was open. So there's pitch out number four, and York is intentionally put on. Now York is at first, Cullenbein at second, Greenberg at third. Two runs have scored, and here's Jimmy Outlaw. And Jimmy has had two hits out of 12 times up at this point, and there's pressure on the little third baseman. He bats right-handed. Derringer pitches, swings on one, hits it down to the second baseman. The play at second for one out, the play back to first is not in time, and Greenberg scores with run number three. Outlaw hits into a force out, driving in a run. Cullenbein crossed to third on the play. Greenberg came in from third to make it three to nothing in favor of Detroit. And York was retired at second, the second baseman to the shortstop. The throw on to first, Cabaretta was not in time. Prim, of course, is charged with that run because he put Greenberg on. It's three to nothing now. Two out. Cullenbein is at third, and Jimmy Outlaw, they tried to make the double play ball on him, but Outlaw, very speedy, as we told you earlier in the broadcast, beat out the relay to first and got on, and the run crossed. Now here's Paul Richards. He's 0 for 8 in the series, bats right-handed. Swings on one, fouls it into the ground, and bounces back to the screen. Hank Roy and Bob Chipman are working in the Cub bullpen now. Roy, formerly of the Yankees, and Chipman, a Brooklyn boy. Batter at the plate is Paul Richards. Runners at first and third, two out. Richards swings on one, slaps it out into center field. It's good for a hit. Cullen Barnes comes in to score easily, and Outlaw holds it second as Pasco fields the ball to third. Four runs for Detroit in inning number four. They have teed off on cup pitching. That run there that crossed Cullenbein, of course, is charged to Prim because he put him on. Richards, with his first hit of the series, is on at first. Derringer is having not too much luck. Outlaws at second. Two out. Busy Trout coming up to hit. There's Trout walking along on that stride of his. He walks forward with a springy step on the balls of his feet. Old Diz is unmistakable anywhere. He looks pretty happy about this four-run lead he's got now on the top of the fourth inning. Here's the pitch to him. He swings, misses, and almost jerks his head off. Gee, he was swinging on that one. His head went jerking back. He missed it. 
big room Paul Garinger, the big Kentucky gentleman, having trouble. Trout takes an inside pitch close to him, ball one. One ball, one strike. On Paul Howard Trout of Terre Haute, Indiana. Now Brawley is not working in the bullpen, it's just Chipman. Trout lets that one go. He started for it and then almost fell off balance checking his swing and it was good. One ball, two strikes on Trout. Two out, four runs in, runners at first and second. Here's the pitch. Trout swings on it. There's a ground ball to the left of the shortstop. The play is at second for the force on Richards and that retires the side. Ball was scooped up by the shortstop. Hughes and flipped underhand to Don Johnson covering at second and they got Richards coming down. That means four runs for Detroit in the top of the fourth inning on one, two, three, four hits. They had two base runners left on and there were no cub errors. So the score as we head for the last half of the fourth is four to nothing in favor of Detroit. All other things being equal, a left-handed hitter has an advantage over the right-handed one in getting down to first, as of course you know. Yes, and for softening tough whiskers in a hurry, Gillette Brushless Shaving Cream has a big advantage, too. You see, it removes moisture-resisting oil from your beard almost instantly. Thus, the water it blankets at the base of the whiskers is absorbed quickly, and in no time, your stubble is thoroughly softened for smooth, easy shaving. Gillette Brushless is superior in other ways, too. It's greaseless, rinses instantly, and can't clog your razor or bathroom drains. Until recently, our entire production of Gillette Brushless went to the armed forces, but it's becoming easier to obtain day by day. When your dealer has Gillette Brushless in stock, ask for a tube, 25 cents, and enjoy extra shaving speed and comfort. Now the last half of the fourth inning. The first batter up is Don Johnson. He's a right-handed hitter as Don Johnson, the first batter up in the last half of the fourth inning. Trout pitches in, Johnson swings on it and he misses it. Trout with a four-run lead is working hard now. There's an attempted bunt that's bounced foul. Johnson was trying to bunt one, cross up Jimmy Outlaw, who's playing fairly deep at third on Johnson, a right-handed batter, and bounced into the ground foul. Bounced up and hit Johnson, as a matter of fact, and makes two strikes on the second baseman of the Cubs. And the Cubs are going to have to start hitting that apple as it's pitched into them by Dizzy Trout there because the Tigers are ahead now four to nothing. Trout takes a big white handkerchief out of his pocket, mops off his fevered brow, and steps back to that mound. Now Trout will work a little more slowly, I think. He usually does. Winds up, delivers, swung on by Johnson. There's a hit. Bouncing into center field. Doc Kramer picks it up, throws it into second. Johnson halfway down, turns around, and gets back to first. And so the Cubs threatened to lash back in the last half of the fourth inning. The Tigers took four runs in the top of this one. First man up, Johnson. Hit the 0-2 pitch, incidentally. Slapped it into center field for a single. Now here's Peanuts Lowry. Lowry has four for 13 so far in the series. He's a right-handed batter, a little fella. They're pulling. They're playing to pull to left. Pitch to him is good. Fastball by Trout on the outside corner. Full peanuts. One strike. 
next one. It's swung on, slapped out in the right field. It's falling for a hit. Columbine picks it up, throws it in, and the runner holds it second and at first. Three hits off of Trout now, two of them coming very quickly here with the first two men up in the last of the fourth. And the tremendous roar and expectancy on the part of the Chicago throng here means that Phil Cabaretta, the leading hitter in the series and the leading hitter of the National League, is at the plate, batting left-handed. Trout pitches him, Cabaretta leans away from the close one. Up close to his chin, ball one. And this is drama, complete drama. Georgie Castor gets up and starts pitching in the bullpen for the Tigers. And Trout pitches high to Cabaretta for ball two. This is the kind of thing that makes this the great American pastime. Two and all to count on Cabaretta. Trout is ready. Here's the pitch. Cabaretta takes it. It's a ball strike. Waste high, a curveball on the inside corner to the left-handed batter. Cabaretta has five hits to his credit out of 11 times up, one of them a homer. Count on him now, two balls, one strike, and Trout takes a little time. As Lowry leads off first and Johnson off second with nobody out. And now, just to sort of break the tempo of things, Cabaretta backs out of the batter's box. Now he climbs back in. Trout looks him over. Trout looks at second. Now he looks at first. Now he kicks some dirt around on the mound. And now torn up bits of paper commence to float down from the second tier. And now the pitch to Cabaretta. Now he swings on it and there's a ground ball foul down the third baseline. Topped that one. For a moment it looks as if it might roll fair down the third baseline. Everybody was on the move on the base side. Ron Johnson was all the way down to third and Peanuts Lowry very fast was down to second. Cabaretta of course had crossed first for the time that ball rolled foul. That makes the count. Two balls, two strikes on Cabaretta. Now Tommy Bridges gets up also to warm up in the bullpen for the Detroit Tigers. Neither manager is giving an inch here today. Tigers are ahead at the moment, four to nothing. Chicago trying to rally here in the last of the fourth. Trout stretches. Cabaretta is ready. Here it comes. Cabaretta swings on it. It's foul. Into the stands, down the left field line. Hapko is on deck. This is the best chance, of course, that Chicago has had up to this point to get some runs across that plate. Trout's ready. Here it comes. It's outside. Now it's a full count. Three balls, two strikes. Cabaretta stands loosely there looking at the situation. He has a long grip on that powerful bat. The outfielders are very, very deep. Johnson at second with itchy feet. Lowry at first. Three and two the count. Trout on the spot. Here it comes. It's swung on and missed, and the ball is picked up with the catcher after he dropped it, and Cabaretta is touched. And he's out, and he's mad. Cabaretta didn't think he had taken a complete swing on that one. That's why he was mad. But the plate umpire, Conlon, whose business is it to do things about that, says it's a third strike. 
Richards dropped the ball, picked it up, slapped it on him. Incidentally, that's the second time that Cavaletta has struck out. That's three strikeouts now for Dizzy Trout. The other victim was Bill Nicholson. Now it's Papko standing up there with runners at first and second and one away. Papko grounded out to the first baseman, Rudy York, his first time up. And he hasn't hit since the first game. Now Trout goes through some typical Trout maneuvers. Takes off his glasses on the mound, pulls a pretty white handkerchief out of his pocket, and very calmly wipes off the lenses of his glasses. Now he holds them up in the air just to see that everything is all right. He decides they need a little more rubbing. That is Dizzy Trout. And that's one of the reasons they call him Dizzy Trout. He's still rubbing his spectacles. And truly, it's an interesting spectacle. Now he decides to mop his face. Now he adjusts his glasses again, puts them on, puts the handkerchief back in his pocket, reaches over, picks up the rosin bag, squeezes it a little, throws it down, pulls on the peak of his cap, steps to the rubber, looks at the plate, and there's Pathco ready to hit. All right. Trout is ready to pitch. Here it comes. Papko swings on it. Hits it back past the mound. It's fielded by Mayo. And the throw is to first. And now the throw to second is not in time as Mayo had stopped Lowry. Here's what happened. The ball was hit past Trout, who made a dive for it and fell on the ground. Eddie Mayo, the second baseman, fielded it. Lowry saw Mayo between him and second base, so he stopped. Mayo stopped momentarily, then he threw over to first in time to get Papko, and York's throw back to second, where the shortstop, uh, Skeeter Webb was covering, was not in time to get Lowry, who had to slide in by that time. Now there are two out, runners at second and third now, Johnson crossing down to third, and Lowry to second on that last play, and here is Nicholson. And Nicholson struck out his first time up. He has batted in five runs in the series so far. And he has bad Bill Nicholson in person. And the sun is commencing to break through a little bit, and the clouds are rolling back. And the score is four to nothing. There's the pitch. Nicholson swings on it. There's a high foul coming back into the stands. Lands just above the first box here. One strike on Nicholson. So uh, Trout is doing himself a fair country-sized job of getting out of this hole. The first two men up, Johnson and Lowry singled on him. Then he struck out the big gun, Cavarotta. Hafco, another big gun, rolled out to the infield. Now here's Nicholson. He's number three in big gunnishness for Chicago. Big left-handed slugger. Dizzy has a strike on him, and there are runners at second and third. Here's the wind-up. Trout winds up, winds up, and uh, while he's winding up, why, uh, the man at the plate, Mr. Nicholson, backs out of there. And here comes Charlie Graham, and I think he uh, feels that Mr. Trout was guilty of a ball. Trout committed one balk during the regular season, but that was not one, says the plate umpire, whose business it is to say about those things, and Charlie Grimm, Jolly Charlie, who at the moment is not so jolly, walks back over to the third base coaching box. There's a guy with a great spirit, Grimm, and the pitcher and the catcher are talking things over midway between the mound and home plate. Charlie Grimm, you know, used to be a baseball broadcaster right here in Chicago. He was a good one, too. Worked right here in this very booth. Now Trout's back on the mound. Nicholson is in there, ready to hit. Here's the pitch to him. He swings, misses it. Strike two. That ball's two strikes to count on him. And Trout only has to register one more strike on this battle here to get out of this trouble. Johnson at third, Lowry at second. Two out. The pitch outside. Ball one. One and two on Nicholson. Stands steadily on the mound, studying Nicholson. 
Hasn't moved. Trout hasn't. Now he gets ready. Nicholson is set. Here it comes. Nicholson swings, strikes out. That's twice he has struck out Nicholson and twice he has struck out Cavaretta. And the score at the end of four innings of play is four to nothing with Detroit in front of Chicago. You know most men enjoy a parking good scrap between top flight boxers. Now if you're one of them, tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports for the major boxing event of the week every Friday night. Consult your daily newspaper for time and station. Remember, every Friday night is fight night on Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports. Now while we're getting ready for the start of the fifth inning here in this thrilling ball game, we're going to pause ten seconds for station identification. Remember men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. WGN Chicago, serving the Middle West. Big Paul Derringer, huge effective right-hander from Kentucky, is ready to go as inning number five breaks upon us. And the score is Detroit four, Chicago nothing. And the top of the batting order for the Detroit Tigers comes up here in the fifth inning, just as it did in the fourth, when the Tigers batted around to register those four runs on four hits. That means that Jimmy Webb is the first hitter for Detroit now, right-handed batter, first time he's faced Derringer. Derringer pitches him low and inside. Derringer, who is big and portly. It's quite big around the middle. Delivers. It's good. That was a three-quarter side on delivery that whisked over the outside corner. On Skeeter Webb, one ball, one strike. Big Paul pitches. He attempts to bunt it as Mr. Webb, and he misses it. Missed it cleanly. Two strikes. Becoming positively sunny now. Derringer ready. Pitches. Webb hits it down the right field line. I think it's going foul. It's going over near the stands, and now it throws into the stands. Down the right field line. Count on Webb is one ball, two strikes. Comparative quiet now settles over the Chicago crowd here. Their beloved Cubs are trailing. Detroit in front, four to nothing. Pitch to Webb. It's called strike three. Now Webb is talking a bit. That's the first strikeout for Derringer. Finn hung up just one. So that's the second Tiger to strike out this afternoon. On the other hand, Paul Trout has struck out four of the Cubs. But that's been confined to two men, Cabrera and Nicholson. He struck out both of them twice. And here's Eddie Mayo, whose walk back in the fourth inning started the trouble for Chicago. Mayo swings on one, there's a high fly ball going into left field. Peanuts Lowry floats to his right and in a little bit, and he's got it. That's two out. The batter now is Doc Kramer. Kramer hit, scored around his last time up. And the odd thing is that day before yesterday, one of the turning points in the four runs that Detroit scored was the walking of Mayo, and that happened again today in inning number four. There's a slow ball tossed by Dallinger, a puff ball from a big man, and it's high and outside for a ball. Dallinger holds the ball behind him in an odd way, now winds up. Delivers, Kramer takes. 
just a little inside. Ball two. Berenger asked about the call on that one, but he's assured it's ball two. That's what he was afraid of. Here it is. Low. Ball three. Ball three on Kramer. Greenberg on deck. Side on pitch. The strike. Kramer was just standing there. Never moved his bat a bit. It was up to Danger to get it in, and he did. Three and one. Danger winds up. Delivers. It's swung on by Kramer. There's a clean hit out of the right center field. Chasing it is Nicholson. He scoops it up. It rolls through into the wall. And Kramer goes to second and holds up there. We got the official scoring on that in just a moment. It looked like an error on Nicholson. Now brilliant sunshine bathes the diamond down there. And Doc Kramer is at second. That was Kramer's second hit out of three times up in this ball game. We haven't got the official scores verdict on that yet. But I think it'll be counted as an error on Nicholson. We'll do an official check on that for you. He was fielding the ball, trying to field it rapidly, of course, and it rolled through his legs. And Tapko, who was over there assisting him on the play, had to go chase the ball. It was an error on Nicholson, says the official score. So Kramer's at second, and here's Greenberg. Berenger pitches him high and inside, ball one. Four to nothing, Detroit leads in the top of the fifth. Berenger working, Greenberg taking its high. And when a pitch is high to Greenberg, it's pretty high, because he's pretty high himself. 6'5". Of course, Derringer's no pygmy. He stands up there 6'4". So you get the picture of two great big men working out on each other. At the moment, Greenberg's a bit in the driver's seat. Two balls, no strikes to count on him. Buck Kramer is leading off second. That one's low. Ball three. Of course, the strategy here would indicate that Derringer's not going to pitch anything too good to Mr. Greenberg. He's the long ball basher. Three and all it is. The pitch is good, taken by Greenberg, of course. Three and one. Now let's see what happens here. Doc Kramer hit the three and one pitch, you know, on Derringer. Slammed the cripple to right field. See what Greenberg does about the three and one pitch. Here it is. Greenberg took it, and it was high for ball four, and he's on. Runners now at first and second with two out here in the top of the fifth inning, and the batter up is Cullenbein. We'll see Cullenbein the other side of the plate now. An odd thing happened there when Cullenbein was up in the fourth inning. He's been batting right-handed today against Prim, who pitches left-handed. Now he'll bat left-handed against the right-handed pitching of Derringer. Cullenbein hadn't hit up until the fourth inning in the whole series. He got a double batting right-handed. He won't on that one. That's a fast curve strike. Curve ball just below the waist to Roy Cullenbein. The dope on Cullenbein is he hits better left-handed than he does right-handed, but he's gotten his only hit of the series right-handed. That's high. High and outside, ball one. One ball, one strike. Towering Hank Greenberg walking off of first. Doc Kramer backing off of second. Pitch to Cullenbein is swung on. It's hit down to Cavarotti. He feels it flawlessly. A hard ball to handle. Steps on first, and Cullenbein is out. So in the top of the fifth inning, no runs for Detroit. One hit, two base runners left on, and one Chicago Cub error, the first Cub error of the series, incidentally. 
Now as we head for the last half of the fifth inning, the score is Detroit 4, Chicago nothing. Major League Baseball will look a lot different next year, for many a famous player is coming back to join his team. Yes, and the famous easy-shaving Gillette Tech Razor is coming back, too. Right now, you'll find it on many a counter all over the country, and week by week, more and more dealers will have it. So men, keep your eyes open for your post-war Gillette Tech with all-metal gold-plated head, complete with five super-keen Gillette blue blades at the pre-war bargain price of only 49 cents. Remember, fans, the Gillette Tech and the Gillette Blue Blade are made for each other. They fit exactly, work together beautifully, and you get smooth, comfortable, good-looking shaves. When his shipment arrives, ask your dealer for the famous Gillette Tech Razor plus five easy-shaving Gillette Blue Blades, 49 cents. Now, the last half of the fifth inning, here's my colleague, smiling Big Al Helfer, all ready to go on a thrilling ball game. Come in, Al. Well, Bill, you're absolutely right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is a thrilling ball game. Right now, the Detroit Tigers are leading in this game, four to nothing. And in the last half of the fifth inning, the first man up is Mickey Livingston, the catcher. Right-hand hitter, and out on the mound, Dizzy Trout makes his first pitch for Detroit. It's a fast curve that's under the knees for ball one. Big Diz over his head again, fires another fast ball that is wrapped foul back of first base. That was a line drive that was really spiked, but fell foul about 15 feet. So the count now on the first cub up in the last half of the fifth inning is one and one. Livingston came up in the third, if you recall, and smashed a single into left center field. He has one third of the hits off Trout. Time is being called now, just a minute, by Bill Summers, the umpire behind first base. Someone down in the Tiger dugout is getting some sunglasses for center fielder Doc Kramer. The sun has come out brilliantly here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. And time is still called while the sunglasses are being passed out. We neglected to tell you the start of the ball game about the distances here at Wrigley Field because we were very much engrossed in telling you how beautiful the park was here. But we'll give you those distances in a minute. Now Trout pitches to the plate and Livingston swings on a high curve and fouls it back into the second tier. One ball, two strikes. That's the count on Livingston. We're in the last half of the fifth inning with the Detroit Tigers leading four to one, four to nothing. Trout over his head, the big right-hander throws. There's a ball laced very solidly out into center field. Doc Kramer goes over to his left, gets under it now, and makes a one-hand catch. That's all for Livingston, a fly ball to deep center field. The distances here at Wrigley Field, right down the right field line, the pole is 353 feet. Right center field, 368 feet to the wall. In straightaway center field, 400 feet. In left center, 368. And down the left field line, right at the foul line, 355 feet. So this is a pretty good sized ballpark. The batter now is Roy Hughes. He takes a high curve from Dizzy Trout for ball one. Hughes came up back in the third inning and attempted sacrifice. He forced out Livingston going into second base. He's a right-hand hitter. Trout pitches him. And there's a high curve off the point of the shoulder that drives the hitter back from the plate. So the count is ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Derringer is scheduled to hit next for the Cubs. Trout delivers again. And again, Hughes leans back from a curve on the inside. It's just above the letters for ball three. Three balls, no strikes on the Chicago shortstop. We're in the last half of the fifth inning. One away, nobody on. Trout throws and gets a strike in. The automatic number registered. 
Big Diz visits the Rosenberg now. Looks down at Hughes. Delivers him. And there's another one in and over for called strike two. So apparently Jolly Charlie, running the ball club from third base, has ordered Hughes to take two to see what Trout was going to do. Now with the three and two delivery coming down, it is under the knees low for ball four. And Hughes becomes a base runner here in the last half of the fifth inning. Now that, incidentally, is the first base on balls given up by Trout. And it's not going to be Paul Derringer to bat. We're going to have a pinch hitter for him. And the man coming up now is Frank Sicori. S-E-C-O-R-Y. Frank Sicori hitting here in the last half of the fifth inning. That means Derringer's all through. After having come in in the fourth inning, pitched two-thirds of it, and pitched the top of the fifth inning. So Derringer pitched one and two-third innings here at Wrigley Field this afternoon. Hi Vandenberg's working in the bullpen, and he'll probably come in to pitch for the Cubs. Now right-handed hitting Frank Sicori, tall and broad-shouldered, stands at the plate, and Trout pitches him. A fast curve that zips over the outside corner for call strike one. Hughes leads off first. Sicori swings on the next pitch, and fouls it off the end of his bat, down to the right of the plate. So very quickly now, the count on Frank Sicori. Pinch hitting for Paul Derringer here in the last of the fifth inning. No balls, two strikes. There's one out for Chicago in the last of the fifth, and Hughes, who has walked, is at first base. See that uh, Tommy Bridges is once again warming up in the Detroit bullpen. He's a game little rooster, that Bridges. He's got all the style of any baseball player. Big Dizzy Trout on the mound now is ready to pitch 0-2 to Frank Sicori. Takes his sign from Paul Richards. Hughes leads off first. Here comes the 0-2 pick. He swings on a low curve and misses now for strike three. So Sicori is out of there, and that is the second cub out in the last half of the fifth inning. Hughes remains at first base. That brings up Stan Hack. Hack came up in the first inning, came up in the third. Twice he was thrown out by members of the infield. Skeeter Webb, the Tiger shortstop, threw him out in the first. And in the third inning, Jimmy Outlaw, third base for Detroit, threw him out. Hughes takes a moderate lead at first. Rudy York halfway back to his fielding depth. This left-hand hitter up. There's a fast curve at the knees and on the inside. The ball one. The outfield fans around slightly to right field. Columbine is playing very deep in right. Next pitch to Hack is a low curve under his knees for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Two out, last half of the fifth inning. And the Cubs have a base runner in Hughes on at first base. He was walked. Out stretches again, delivers the plate, and again it's low. Stanley Hack now has the count of three balls, no strikes. Stan, with that perpetual grin on his face, turns around and says few words to Jocko Conlon as time had been called by catcher Richards of Detroit. He walked out all the way to the mound. Have a few words with Dizzy Trout. Now here comes Richards stomping back behind the plate very slowly. Hack has the count of three balls, no strikes. And the left-handed hitter standing very deep at the plate. Trout stretches, comes down with his next pitch and it's in there for a strike. Just reared back and laid it in. Three and one is the count on Stan Hack. Trout pitches a fastball and it's swung on and foul tipped. That's strike two. Now we've got a full count on the Chicago third baseman, Stanley Hack. Three balls, two strikes. Two outs, one on. Use it first. Down comes the pitch. Hack swings on it. There's a bounding ball to first. Rudy York comes up with it. The race is on and York wins. 
That's all for Stanley Hack, rounding out to the first baseman Rudy York unassisted. So in the fifth inning for Chicago, no runs, no hits. One man, Hughes, was left on at first, and there were no errors. So at the end of five full innings of play, it's a four-to-nothing ball game in favor of the Detroit Tigers over the homestanding Chicago Cubs. And here's how it lines up. The box totals at the end of five innings. Detroit, four runs on a total of five hits, no errors. For Chicago, no runs on three hits, and they've committed one error. We're going into the top of the sixth inning here at Wrigley Field. The first man up for the visiting Detroit Tigers is going to be Rudy York, who made the put out on Stanley Hack, the last batter for Chicago. York came up in the second inning and hit a ball down to the right side, and Don Johnson, the second baseman, threw him out. Rudy then in that big fourth inning that saw the Detroit Tigers pushing across four runs and chasing Prim away from the mound. York came up then and was walked. He'll be followed by Outlaw and then by Richards, or the number six, the number seven, and number eight hitters. Now High Vandenberg is taking the mound for Chicago. High Vandenberg's taking the mound for Chicago here in the sixth inning. He's the third of the Chicago pitchers. Prim started and pitched three in the third innings. He was lifted in the fourth. Derringer came on and pitched one and two third innings. So now High Vandenberg is out there for the Chicago Cubs. Harold Vandenberg is 6'3 half, weighs 211, comes from Abilene, Kansas. He now makes his home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's a pretty good-sized guy, and he comes down with the first pitch to Rudy York, and Rudy swings on it, and there's a high drive into deep left field. Peanuts Lowry shades his eyes from the sun. He's under it now and takes it for the out. That's all for York. Swinging on the first pitch ball and sending a high fly into left field. So Vandenberg gets off to a pretty good start. Vandenberg this year with the Chicago Cubs won seven ball games and lost three. A percentage of 700. Of course, this isn't his ball game as it stands right now. Nor can it be unless his ball game is tied up. He's on the mound at the time it happens. Here in the sixth inning is Jimmy Outlaw coming up for his third official at bat, and he's gone 0 for 2. The right-hand hitter chokes up well on the hand. Takes the first pitch, and Vandenberg has it nicely in for a called strike. Just under the letters on the inside corner. No balls, one strike. That's the count on Jimmy Outlaw. Vandenberg kicks, throws a curve, and it's just above the lettering of the shirt. That levels the count off at one and one. So that's the second out at the top of the sixth inning. Now here's Paul Richards. Got himself a single back in the fourth inning to bat in one of the Detroit runs. The right-hand hitter takes the first pitch, and Vandenberg... Slides it right through there for a strike. No balls, one strike is the count on Paul Richards. Vandenberg is ready. Delivers to the plate. There's a ball spike right into the glove. Uh, Hughes at shortstop. Richards hits a line drive to the shortstop to the third out from top of the sixth inning. And there's nothing across. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. The score at the end of five and a half innings of play is Detroit four and Chicago nothing. Well, you know that slugging averages are the measure of power hitting. The player who gets a single in four times at bat is hitting 250, but if he gets a homer, he's slugging 1,000. Four bases in four times at bat. That's the slugging average of Gillette Lather Shaving Cream, too, because it produces up to four times as much lather as most other brands. Money-wise, that's the difference between 25 cents and a dollar, and it's worth talking about. Gillette Lather is a superb beard softener. It holds a load of water as a sponge does. 
and releases it freely, soaking every bristle. Fans, you owe yourself the extra shaving comfort and economy the superior cream gives. So ask your dealer for Gillette Lather Shaving Cream at a quarter. Until recently, our entire production went to the armed forces, but now, week by week, more dealers are getting more Gillette Shaving Cream. Now, uh, we just have a moment's time here before the last half of the sixth inning to pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. Right back at Wrigley Field in Chicago. In the last half of the sixth inning, the first man up is Don Johnson, the second baseman. He's one hit and two tries, and he takes the first pitch. High for ball one as Trout comes down with a fast curve. Johnson hits right-handed and stands deep at the plate. Swings on this next pitch. And there's a high foul ball back into the screen. Well, the count is one and one on Don Johnson. Johnson powdered his single back in the fourth inning, and he hit it to center field. He's after the next pitch, and there's a solid drop out into right field. It drops in for a base hit. Bounces up against the wall. Johnson is coming into second base. He's going to try for third. Here comes the throw by Cullen Vine, and it's a triple standing up for Johnson. Great day in the morning. Johnson really teed off on that one. Hit an outside pitch deep into right field. It bounced back against the wall, 350 feet, three feet away from home plate. And by the time Cullenbine got that ball into the infield, Johnson, very fleet of foot, was on at third base. And that is hit number four off Trout. Now the batter is Lowry. And the little left fielder takes a high curve as Trout zips one in there. That's ball one. Lowry this afternoon has had one hit, a single in to right field in the fourth inning. He's been up twice. Drop pitches, and Lowry swings, and there's a ground ball hit to outlaw third. And the runners trap between first and third, and the throw goes over to first base instead. And then as Rudy York, after the out is affected, throws back to third base to Jimmy Outlaw, it's wild and into the stands, and the run comes in to score. Well, we'll go over that play again for you. Peanuts Lowry hit down to Outlaw at third. Despite the fact that the runner, Johnson, was caught off at third, Outlaw elected to throw that ball to first base. He did so to Rudy York for the out. Rudy returned that ball back to third base, but his throw was wild. And into the stands, and the run comes in to score. Johnson just got right up out of the dirt and came right in. So that is an error on the throw of Rudy York at first base. So that is the first error for... Detroit this afternoon, and it's now a four-to-one ball game. Will the fans and the preachers kindly take your betting off the wall? Now in the last half of the sixth inning, with one out, nobody on, the score stands four-to-one in favor of the Detroit Tigers. Phil Cavaretta is up at the plate, hitting left-handed. Trout comes down with his first pitch to Phil, and it's a long ball hit deep into left field. Hank Greenberg backs up near the wall, and he's under it. He's got it for the out. That's all for Cavaretta. A long fly ball into left field. That's the second out here in the last half of the sixth inning. The score stands 4-1 to one in favor of the Detroit Tigers over the homestanding Chicago Cubs. The batter now is Andy Pafko. Pafko hitting right-handed. He's 0 for 2. Trout pitches him a high curve right off the point of the chin. That's ball one. So each side this afternoon has an error. Apco swings on the next pitch and doesn't get it. 
That levels his count off at one and one. One ball, one strike. The bases are empty. Two outs here in the sixth inning. Kafko swings on the next offering, and there's a high fly ball out into center field. Kramer comes up under it. He's got it for the out. That's all for Pafco. That's all for the Cubs here in the sixth. They pick themselves up. One run on one hit. Nobody left, and there was one Detroit error. So at the end of six full innings of play, the score is four to one in favor of the Detroit Tigers. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just received some very sad news about a former Tiger, Pete Fox, now with the Boston Red Sox. Pete's father died suddenly this morning. And we here all sympathize with Pete Fox. I understand Pete's hunting up in Maine and may not have heard about his father. And if he happens to be tuned into this broadcast, I'm sure he'll want to communicate with the folks. Now we're in the top of the seventh inning here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. And it's Dizzy Trout to be the first man up. In the third inning, he hit a hot line drive right to the glove of Hughes at shortstop. In the fourth inning, he forced out Richards at second base. So he's actually over two. But as Bill told you earlier in the broadcast, this guy Dizzy Trout at 200 pounds and 6'3", can really lean that wood against a horse hide, and he hits a long ball, and quite often, will park one in the stands for you on occasion. Right now, he's cleaning off his glasses behind home plate and talking to Jocko Conlon, the National League umpire, who is working balls and strikes behind the plate here at Wrigley Field this afternoon. Out on the mound, High Vandenberg, the right-hander is getting ready to go. You know, High came in and to pitch here in this ball game in the sixth inning when Derringer was lifted in favor of Frank Sicori as a pinch hitter. And now Trout gets a nice round of applause as he steps up to the plate here in the seventh inning. The score, the Tigers four and the Chicago Cubs one. Vandenberg, big right-hander delivers, and Trout at the plate takes a curve nicely in and over for call strike one. Vandenberg works again. Trout ignores it. The curve is high. Now the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. This is the top of the seventh inning. Vandenberg takes his sign from Livingston. Pumps twice. Stops, twists, throws. A high curve swung on viciously and missed by Trout. He was really trying to lace into that one. Then Berg came down with a very nice curveball, sort of a change of pace variety. Trout didn't time it. His count now is one ball, two strikes. Trout swings on the next pitch, and there's a high foul ball up to the left of the plate and goes back into the second tier. So the count stays right on at one and two. One ball, two strikes. The outfield is playing Trout very deep. They respect him as a hitter. He's a good ball player. Swings on this next pitch, and there's a high fly ball out back of third base. Hughes, the shortstop, goes over under it. Now he's near the line, and he takes it for the out. That's all for Trout. Pops up and out into a very short left field. Hughes scampers over and takes it. The batter now for Detroit is Skeeter Webb. Webb's been up there three times today. In the first inning, he was thrown out by Hack. Again in the fourth inning, Hack threw him out. And in the fifth, the Skeeter struck out. So he's been up uh, 15 times and has had three hits in the series. Right-hand hitter crouches over slightly. Vandenberg delivers him, and there's a fastball hit right down to Cabaretta. He dives over to his right, stops it, throws the ball over to first base to Vandenberg, who is covering, and the out has been effected. Very nice play on the part of Cabaretta. He doesn't think about himself, does Phil. 
He's all intent upon making that play, and if a ball is hit to his right or left, he doesn't hesitate a moment to dive after it. He's right off his feet. Well, he knocked that one down and made the play. Made quite a play yesterday on Briggs Stadium in Detroit. The batter now for Detroit is Eddie Mayo. He's gone 0 for 2. He was walked once. The left-hand hitter takes a curve that's floated in and over. A called strike. It looked as though it was going to take quite a while for that pitch to make the plate, and it finally did and flipped in and over. No balls, one strike is the count on Ed Mayo, the second baseman. Vandenberg easily delivers again. There's another one of those change of pace jobs, and it's in for strike two. Mayo doesn't move a muscle. Now he pumps the bat once, twice. Vandenberg looks at him, delivers him. There's another medium-speed curveball. It's laced down to shortstop. Hughes digs it out of the dirt, makes his quick throw to Phil Cabaretta. And that's all for Mayo, going out from short to first. That's the third out for Detroit in the seventh inning. There's nothing across. Well, one of the greatest southpaws of all time, King Carl Hubble, first pitcher to perfect a screwball and use it effectively, is here beside me in the broadcasting booth. Carl now heads the Giants' far-flung farm system, which he hopes will develop stars for future World Series. Come on in here, Carl, and tell the folks what you said to me just last night down at the hotel. You mean about the slick shades I get with my Gillette razor? Yes, with your Gillette razor and the Gillette blue blade. Well, Al, that's the winning combination, the greatest shaving team on earth. It's kept my face feeling in the pink for over 20 years. In fact, I wouldn't think of trying to shave with anything else. Thanks, Carl Hubble. And I might add, you look right in the pink right now, too. Well, fellas, you get the most refreshing shaves a man can have with today's Gillette Blue Blade. So, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Now for the last half of the seventh inning here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. The score stands, the Tigers four and the Chicago Cubs one. And bad Bill Nicholson, who twice has struck out, is up at the plate. And Dizzy Trout makes the first pitch, and Nicholson swings and misses for a strike. A wave of expectancy running through the crowd here now. The last half of the seventh inning of the home half. They'd like to see the Chicago Cubs get going. And Nicholson swings on the next pitch now and fouls it off into the screen. The count on Bill is no balls, two strikes. Dizzy Trout has given up four hits to Chicago. And an error has cost him a run. He works a medium speed curveball into Nicholson and it's outside for ball one. One ball, two strikes. That's a count on Bill Nicholson, standing very deep at the plate, crouched over. Boy, he's a husky guy. It's left-handed. He swings on this next pitch and taps it out in front of the plate. Trout comes down, fields it, throws to York just by a spike. It's in time for the out. Nicholson almost had that one beaten out. He hit it uh, right off the end of his bat, down to the mound, and Trout had to hurriedly field that one. Rudy York stretched as far as he possibly could at first base and grabbed that ball just off the shoulder point of the flying Bill Nicholson. So that's one out in the last half of inning number seven. And the batter coming up to the plate is Mickey Livingston. Livingston has had one hit and two tries. Mickey got a single in the left center field back in the third inning. As a matter of fact, he got the first hit given up by Trout in this ball game. Mickey's a good defendable catcher. As Bill told you, he's got quite a competitive spirit. Trout fires a fast one in there, and it's high, just above the letters of the shirt for ball one. One out for Chicago in the last of the seven. The score stands, the Tigers four, and the Cubs one. Trout right hands the next one in, 
It's a good one for a strike. Just above the knees and right through the middle. Got a lot of activity down in the Chicago bullpen. We'll have those boys for you in a minute. Trout takes his sign now from Paul, from Paul Richards. Livingston, right-hand hitter, sort of crowds up on the plate. Swings on this next pitch, and there's a fly ball going out into right center field. Kramer comes over very nicely for it, makes a nice running catch. He was backed up by Cullenbine, just in case Kramer might have missed it. But old Doc can really go get him, and he grabbed it. That's the second out now in the last half of the seventh inning for Chicago. And the batter is scheduled to be Hughes, but I doubt seriously whether Hughes is going to hit. It looks as though we may have a pinch hitter for him. And if Hughes goes out of there, probably Len Marullo will come in to play shortstop. Heinz Becker, I believe, is going to hit for him. Well, our announcement has just been verified by the public address announcer that Becker is going to hit for Hughes here in the seventh inning. Heinz Becker, big six-foot fella, hits left-handed. Takes the first pitch. Trout pours it right through there for a strike. As Heinz Becker, born in Berlin, Germany, now makes his home down in Texas. He's a nice fellow to talk to. Swings on the next pitch and doesn't get it. So very quickly on this pinch hitter, Heinz Becker, the count is no balls and two strikes. He's hitting for Hughes. Len Marullo is down there warming up. He'll probably come in to play shortstop in the last half, or in the first half of the eighth inning. Now Trout is ready. Delivers to this pinch hitter. Becker swings on it and fouls it right back into the stands, right below us here. And that was a hard hit ball. Somebody reached up and grabbed it. Oh, in a gray overcoat. Puts it in his pocket. He's going to be ready. Take that home. Down comes the next pitch to Becker, and he swings on it. And there's a clean base hit wrapped through the hole between short and third, not into left field. So the pinch hitter, sent up by Charlie Grimm, Heinz Becker, singles in the left. And Marullo is going to get down and run for him. Len Marullo will run for Heinz Becker. Len Marullo has now taken the place of Heinz Becker at first base. Becker is troubled with bad ankles. At the plate is Paul Gillespie to hit for High Vandenberg. Gillespie is batting for Vandenberg here in the seventh inning. So Charlie Grimm is throwing everything he possibly can. Looks as though Chipman may come in and pitch the eighth inning. Gillespie swings on the first pitch and hits it wide at first base. York fields it. There's Trout covering it first to throw to Trout in time for the out. And that's all for Gillespie going out from three to one. So that's all for the Cubs here in the seventh inning. No runs. One hit. One man left and there were no errors. Well, before we get into the eighth inning, I'd just like to say, remember fans, that our very good friend Bill Coram of the New York Journal American Sports Staff will summarize today's game at the conclusion of our play-by-play -play report. So stay tuned right on here for Bill Coram's highlights. They're well worth hearing about. Now we're going into the top half of the eighth inning. Kramer will be the first man up for the Tigers. He'll be followed by Greenberg and then by Cullenbein. And the new pitcher that's coming in for the Chicago Cubs is going to be big right-hander Paul Erickson and not Chipman. Erickson coming in the pitch here in the eighth inning. E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Erickson pitching in the eighth. This is his second relief job in the series. 
Erickson's been quite a boy here at Chicago. He's been a very well-liked fella. He's six feet two and weighs about 200 pounds. He makes his home right here in Chicago, Illinois. And he was born in Zion, Illinois, back in 1917. And the other change on the Chicago inner defense is Len Marullo. Very flashy and snappy shortstop has gone in at short. If you recall, Heinz Becker hit for Hughes and drilled a single back in the seventh inning. Marullo came in to run for him. So the inner defense now for Chicago as the first man coming to bat is Doc Kramer. Paul Erickson pitching. Livingston catching. First base is Cavaretta. At second is Johnson. At short is Len Marullo. And at third base, Stan Hatt. The first pitch is swung on by Kramer. And there's a high fly ball going out back at the shortstop. Right into short left field. Len Marullo's first chance. And the young fellow's got it for the out. That's all for Kramer. Popping up and out to shortstop Len Marullo. So that's one out now in the top of the eighth inning for the Detroit Tigers. That brings up Hank Greenberg, who batted in one of the four runs the Tigers now possess here in this fourth game. The score stands, the Tigers four and the Cubs one. Greenberg stands in, just off the plate, hits right-handed. He's a tiring fellow with a lot of power. This Erickson's big square-shouldered fellow, and he delivers a fast curve under the lettering of the shirt, but on the outside for ball one. One ball, no strike on Hank Greenberg. Hank was walked in the fifth inning, single to left in the fourth inning to drive in a run. He hammered across Mayo, who was on at second base at the time. Struck out, however, back in the, in the second inning. He takes a pitch again, and this one's low for ball two. Erickson throws a lot of sidearm stuff. He just worked one in on Greenberg that time. Boy, that outfield is really playing deep to Hank. Erickson throws sidearm, and crossfire is good on the outside corner for a strike. One and two is a count on Hank Greenberg. We're in the top of the eighth inning with one out. Nobody on here at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Erickson tries a curveball that's swung on by Hank Greenberg and drilled right back onto the screen foul. Other count is two and two now. Two balls, two strikes. But that doesn't seem to worry Hank Greenberg much. He's just as cool as a piece of ice up at that plate. Hank waits. Here comes the two and two delivery. It's a sidearm curve. It swung on a miss for strike three. That's the first strikeout for Erickson. That's strikeout number three against the Tigers this afternoon. Now the batter stepping up to the plate and once again hitting left-handed is Columbine. Columbine's a switch hitter. Got himself a double. Back in the fourth inning is a right-handed hitter. Erickson delivers him. Columbine takes a curve. It slides off outside for ball one. Columbine in the fifth inning is taken care of, unassisted by Phil Cavaretta, the first baseman. Columbine has one hit, three at-bats. He only hit his head in the series. Erickson tries a high curve. It stays outside for ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Top of the eighth inning, two outs, no base runners. The score, Tigers four and the Cubs one. Cubs leaving this series, you know, two to one. They've won two games, the Tigers have won one, but they're bidding right now to make an even Steven. Erickson's pitch is a curveball that is low under the knees. Cullen Vine, very quickly, Roy has the count of three balls, no strikes. Cullen Vine draws a good many base on balls because he's a pretty good guardian of the plate. He's got a sharp eye, as the boys say. 
Three and nothing is the count on Cullenbine. Two outs, nobody on in the eighth. Erickson tries a curveball. It's outside for ball four. Cullenbine draws his first walk this afternoon. That's the first base on balls given up by Erickson. That's the fourth. Handed to the visiting Detroit Tigers this afternoon. The batter now is old Kickapoo Rudy York. The old Cherokee Indian. He's a big fella. Ever shake hands with that fella? Boy, he really squeezes it. He's 0 for 2 for the afternoon. He walked in the fourth inning. And he takes the first pitch, and it's a nice curve above his knees and on the inside slice for call strike. The outfield fans around the left and backs up very deep to York. He hits an awful long ball. Erickson quickly throws over to first, and Cullenbein is pretty hard-pressed to get in ahead of that throw. Down comes the next pitch, and York hits it down to second. Johnson comes up with it nicely after gliding over to his left and throws him out to first base. So that's all for York going out, four to three, and that's all for the Tigers here in the eighth. No runs. No hits, one man left, and there were no errors. So at the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score stands, the Tigers four, and the Cubs one. Carl Hubble, famous member of the New York Giants, referred to the Gillette Razor and Gillette Blue Blade a while ago as the greatest shaving team on earth. Yes, and team is the word for it. These two are made for each other, same factory, same skilled craftsmen, same high-precision standards. So they fit exactly, work together perfectly, and turn in the best performance known in shaving. For instance, when you place a Gillette blue blade in your Gillette razor and tighten the holder, the shaving edges line up exactly parallel with the guard and extend just the right distance for clean, smooth, comfortable shaving. Fans, you get the slickest, easiest shaves in the book and avoid all the irritating effect of misfit blades and faulty shaving methods. So look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette blue blades with the sharpest edges ever home. Now here is the first man up at the plate in the last half of the eighth inning, and that means it's going to be... Stanley Camfield high. And the first pitch comes in and it's high for ball one. Down rides the next offering and it's through there for a strike. So the count is one and one on Stanley Camfield hack. Last half of the eighth inning. Hack steps forward toward this pitch and then takes it and it's a snapping curve outside for ball two. Two balls, one strike. Hack starting the fourth batting around for the Cubs. And he himself has not hit yet today. He's been up there three times, and three times he's been thrown out by someone on the infield. Either that or someone on the infield has taken care of the out. He swings on this next pitch, and there's a ground ball to short. Skeeter Webb over, under, and grabs it. Fires it over to Rudy York. That's all. Hack is out of there. Going out six to three. That was a high bounding ball. So that's one out in the last half of the eighth inning. The batter up there now is Don Johnson. He gets a nice round of applause. Don tripled back in the sixth inning. He singled in the fourth, so he has two hits for three at-bats. Trout pitches him, and it's a high curve right under the chin for a shave in ball one. Johnson hitting right-handed, standing very deep at the plate. Swings on this pitch, and there's a bounding ball to short. Skeeter Webb goes over nicely to his right. Scoops it, throws to first just in time, and that's all for Johnson. Guy Webb's playing himself a pretty good game at shortstop here this afternoon, as far as uh, defensive baseball is concerned. That's the second out for Chicago here in the last half of the eighth inning. The batter now is Lowry. Peanut's got a hit in the fourth inning, single to right field. 
He was moved down to second, but there he died. As Cabaretta struck out, Pafko went out to second to first, and then Nicholson struck out. The peanut takes the first pitch, and it's just off the peak of his cap on the inside for ball one. Trout monkeying around on the mound, kicks a little dirt, now pumps, throws, another fastball. It's an attempted bunt at the plate. It falls down to the right of the plate foul. So the count is one and one on Peanuts Larry. Jocko Conlon could be heard yelling foul clear up here in the radio booth. Larry chokes up a little more on the bat now. Trout is ready to pitch one and one. Down it comes. Larry takes it under his knees low. Ball two. Two balls, one strike. Two outs in the eighth inning. Nobody on. And Larry up at bat. The score is Detroit four and Chicago one. Trout has really been whipping that ball down this afternoon like a streak of light. He's over his head now, twists, throws. There's another fast one. And it's in there for a strike. And that's strike two. Lowry started to go for that. He pulled his bat up, however, but it was in there anyway. Trout gets ready. Delivers and swung on and missed for strike three. That's all for Lowry, and that's all for the Cubs here in the eighth inning. It's number five as far as strikeouts are concerned. There's nothing across for Chicago here in the eighth inning. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. Well, here a great reporter highlight today's game the very minute it's over. I'd like you all to stay tuned for Bill Corm of the New York Journal American Sports Staff and enjoy his colorful summary at the conclusion of our play-by-play -play report from Wrigley Field here in Chicago. And we've got a little time before the ninth inning uh, breaks forth upon us to pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember, men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever home. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WGN Chicago serving the Middle West. Now for the top half of inning number nine. Right here at Wrigley Field in Chicago in his fourth game of the 1945 World Series, the score stands the Tigers four and the Chicago Cubs one. And the first man up for the Tigers is going to be Outlaw. The third baseman has been up there three times and he's failed to get a base hit. Out on the mound, Paul Erickson, the tall blonde right-hander, makes his first pitch and little Jimmy at the plate takes a curve under his knees for ball one. One ball, no strikes. The outfield is playing more or less straight away to Outlaw, and they don't play very deep. However, Len Marullo, the shortstop for Chicago, is playing back on the grass, right on the edge of the grass, and pulled down in the hole at short. There's a curveball laced very solidly in the left here for a solid base hit for the little Tennessee Jimmy Outlaw. Solid wrap in the left. That is hit number one off Erickson. Now with the base runner on for Detroit here in the top of the ninth inning, the batter is Paul Richards. Richards came up in the fourth inning and got a single to center field, thereby driving in a run. He attempts to bunt this first pitch offered by Erickson and misses completely for strike one. So apparently Steve O'Neill, the Detroit manager, isn't satisfied with a three-run lead. He'd like to work somebody around to second and put them in scoring position. Richards, tall right-hand hitter, standing very deep at the plate. Erickson checks his runner, throws to the plate. Richards swings and misses. That's strike two. No balls, two strikes. The outfield is playing deep to 
His right-hand hitter and fanned around toward left. Erickson sights, throws. Richards swings and strikes out. That's all for Richards. As far as strikeouts are concerned, that is Erickson's second one. Now the man coming up to the plate. Do a little hitting for Detroit is Dizzy Trout. Here he comes, and listen to that round of applause for him. He's pitched a good game. Yes, sir, old Diz has been a dandy here this afternoon. He's pitched a lot of baseball for Detroit. Right now he's kicking the mud out of his spikes with the meat end of the bat. The right-hand hitter digs in now. One out in the top of the ninth and a base runner at first. That's Jimmy Outlaw. Erickson delivers a sidearm curve. The trout swings on and beats down into the ground foul for a strike. No balls, one strike. We're in the top half of inning number nine with the Tigers leading the Cubs four to one. Erickson, the fourth of the Chicago pitchers. Settles down, now delivers. There's a ball hit very sharply down to third. Hack dives over, knocks it down, but by the time he gets after it and picks it up, he cannot make a play, and all hands are safe. And Hack dove out to his left, but it's a base hit for Trout. Right off the glove of Stanley Hack at third. Outlaw moved down to second, and he throws right on to the keystone. And that's hit number two off Erickson. Hit number seven, as far as Detroit is concerned. Now with runners at first and second, and one out. The batter coming up to the plate is Skeeter Webb. The Detroit shortstop this afternoon has been up there four times, and he's hitless. Right now is the time I imagine that the Skeeter would like to bash one. Erickson takes his sign from Livingston, throws to the plate. Webb's after it, but there's a high foul ball going way back of right field and falls way back into the seats. Well, that's just a long strike to Skeeter Webb. His count now is no balls, one strike. He very viciously pumps his bat back and forth now. The right-hand hitter takes the next pitch under his knees, and the ball gets away from Livingston. There is the break for third by Outlaw, and he gets down and slides under the peg. Stanley Hack tries to put it on him, but he couldn't do it. And the ball got away from Mickey Livingston, allowing Outlaw to come down from second. Livingston retrieved that ball all right, threw it to Stanley Hack, and his throw was a little high, and the flailing spikes of Outlaw came into third base under the tag, and it's a passed ball on Richardson. A passed ball on Livingston. Down comes the next pitch, and there's a curveball, ball two. So the count is two balls, one strike. We're going to check the official score on that passed ball verdict to make sure that it's a passed ball and not a wild pitch. However, Outlaw is now at third. He broke. Down comes the pitch, and there comes Outlaw in, and he's caught between home and third as the pitch to plate was taken low and the peg went right back to Stanley Hack and his outlaw tried to get back in he was tagged out. Well the count is three and one on Skeeter Webb the hitter and Jimmy Outlaw having a mental lapse for the moment started to go for home plate and then he pulled up as he saw Livingston come up with that ball and it was fired right back to Stanley Hack for the out. That's the second Detroit out. Webb swings on this next pitch, and there's a high fly ball going to deep right field. Nicholson goes back for the wall and takes it for the out. That's all for Webb, and that's all for the Tigers here in the top of the ninth inning. No runs. Two hits. There was a man left, 
And there were no errors. One passed ball, and that's charged against Mickey Livingston. So we're going into the last half of the ninth inning. And for the Detroit Tigers, they have a total of four runs. We'll count the hits up for you very rapidly. See, four, five, six, seven. The Tigers have four runs, seven hits, and they have committed one error. That was Rudy York's error. Throwing wild over third base. Back in the fifth inning. In the last half of the ninth inning for the Chicago Cubs, the first man up is Phil Cavaretta. He'll be followed by Andy Pavko, and then by right fielder Bill Nicholson. So this is more or less the part of the batting order that Charlie Grimm would have selected. Had he been given an opportunity to select the three men he wanted up played in the last half of the ninth. It's a four to one, four to one ball game going into the last half of the ninth inning with the Chicago Cubs three runs behind. And we're uh, waiting now for Dizzy Trout to come out and get on the mound there and start pitching. Dizzy's back in the dugout right now, taking his good old time, mopping off his brow, cleaning his glasses. And Jocko Conlon, the plate umpire, he's the National League umpire, has uh, gone over to the dugout, waiting for Dizzy Trout to come out. Dizzy's wiping off his arms now, wiping off his forehead. Dizzy's had quite an afternoon. Trout looks uh, up through his glasses now as he steps up onto the top of the steps of the dugout. Now here he comes to make his appearance. It's a four to one count in favor of the Detroit Tigers here in the fourth game of the World Series. The Chicago Cubs, you know, have won two and the Tigers have won one. So they're bidding this afternoon, are these Tigers, to even up the series at two all. Trout has just made his appearance on the mound right this minute. Of course, he'll be given an opportunity to throw a couple of warm-up pitches down to his battery mate, Paul Richards. And now, because of uh, the fact that you'll be wanting to know what defensive measures the Tigers are taking, let's uh, set them for you defensively. Out on the mound is Dizzy Trout. His battery mate behind the plate is Paul Richards. At first base is Rudy York. At second base is Eddie Mayo. At short is Skeeter Webb. At third base is Jimmy Outlaw. Out in left field is Hank Greenberg. Doc Kramer is in center field, and in right field is Roy Cullenbein. As we start the last of the ninth inning with Cavaretta up there, the score stands, the Tigers four, and the Cubs one. Cavaretta hitting left-handed. Has been up in this ballgame three times, twice he struck out, and the last time up was in the sixth inning, and he was out on a fly ball to left field. Trout pitches, and there's a fast curve. It's hit out into straightaway center field. Going backward is Kramer. He's under it now, and he has it for the out. That's all for Cavaretta here in the ninth inning, and that's one away for Chicago. The batter is Andy Pafko. Andy's quite a runner. As has been observed by a couple of the scribes, he's about as fast as a Minnesota halfback. At least Minnesota used to have quite a reputation for having a pair of fast-running halfbacks. And this guy Pafko can really move. However, he hasn't hit today and three times up. Trout curves this right-hand hitter, and there's a ball hit down wide of third. Outlaw goes over, makes a nice stop and a quick throw to first base to York in time for the out. Kid Outlaw really dived over to his left and came up with a hard-hit ground ball. Very neat play on the part of third baseman Outlaw. And now with two outs here in the last of the ninth inning, quite a few of the folks are starting to go for the exit gates. It's Nicholson up there, and he struck out twice and hit back to the pitcher in the seventh inning and was thrown out. Bill Nicholson 0 for 3 for the afternoon. Dizzy Trout trying to wind this one up. Trout gets ready. 
Flips it in there, and Nicholson swings on it, and there's a tremendously high foul ball up and back. Paul Richards comes back with a screen and has it for the out. That's all in the ninth inning. The ball game is all over for the Cubs in the ninth. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left. Here are the final totals. Detroit, four runs, seven hits, and one error. Chicago, one run, five hits, and one error. The winning pitcher, of course, is Trout, and the losing pitcher is Pappy Prim. Well, Bill Coram is pushing his way to the broadcasting booth to give you his summary of today's game. While we're waiting, let me remind you that in sending Christmas gifts to servicemen and women, avoid shipping things that are fragile or perishable. It's no treat to open a box of melted chocolates, moldy fruit, and stale cake. Don't send anything bulky. Most servicemen have very little space for their personal belongings, and mostly must carry them on their backs. Don't send things they can get easily at post exchanges or ship stores. Try to find out as much as you can about their wants. Now for some do's. Use a strong box. Wrap securely. Address plainly. And above all, mail before October 15th. If your man is en route home, of course, save that gift and hang it on the tree. He'll really appreciate it. And now the man who really takes baseball inside out. And he's going to take this game inside out, I know. And you're going to want to hear what he has to say. Because I want to hear what he has to say, too. Uncle Billy? Uh, Al, nobody can take this ball game inside out but the fellow who's already done it, Dizzy Trout of the Tigers. The little bear fished for the trout in misty rain, shadow, and bright sunshine here this afternoon. But Bruin couldn't catch him. The wary old trout, Detroit's great dizzy, of course, was too elusive, much too elusive. He was the trout of midsummer form and last year's form when he won 27 games in the American League, fast as a bullet, all around the plate, and in very little trouble. Indeed, it could easily have been that he would have pitched a shutout here this afternoon. Bill Terry, great first baseman of a few years back and giant manager since then, all baseball fans know, up here from Memphis for the series, sitting just behind me down in the press box said Trout was extremely fast and while he didn't think as fast as trucks the other day in Detroit uh, fast enough at least to stand the Cubs who like to hit fastball pitching normally on their heads he was a master out there this afternoon and now O'Neill is sort of back in the driver's seat because tomorrow when we come out here for this fifth game of the World Series or the fifth game of the World Series in this beautiful park here in Chicago one of baseball's loveliest show places if not it's loveliest and I haven't heard the figures on the crowd by the way but as the folks file away from here I should say that there must have been at least 45,000 people here because there were an awful lot of standees now the official figures may have come over here and we didn't get them but I haven't heard them and they may fool that but I think that that's about what it will come to better than 44,000 I'm sure there were about a thousand soldiers out there and of course there are innumerable newspaper men up in a special press box up on the upper level so we can't be sure about the pay but let's say around 45,000 well getting back to the pitching Prim matched uh, Trout uh, right along through the first three innings and the old grandpappy fellow from out there in sunny California looked as if he might be going to have a field day too but the Tigers got to him and they seemed to play this game four runs or no count because they won two games in the series now and each time they scored four runs in the inning and it was Greenberg again who started them off but they were 
roaring after Prim at that time and came right along and might easily have scored again in the last inning if the ball game hadn't been practically over and the base runner hadn't got a little careless down there on third base. It was a kind of a bad play, but it meant nothing because it was pretty certain by that time that the Tigers had the game all wrapped up and in the bat bag. And when Steve O'Neill comes out here tomorrow and we come out tomorrow, he's going to be sitting pretty high up there in the honey seat because he's got Newhauser in trucks and now Trout, who wasn't good at the end of the American League season, seemed to be very tired and faded out having pitched this beautiful game here this afternoon, and the totals, in case you didn't get them when Al gave them to you, were four runs, seven hits, one error, six left for the Tigers, one run, five hits, one error, and five left for the home boys. And uh, that shows you what a nice game Trot pitched. He also got brilliant support this afternoon. Jimmy Outlaw at third base made a beautiful play there in the ninth inning. Skeeter Webb, too, all over the field. He's been a tower of strength to this ball club, and he happens to be, by the way, Steve O'Neill's son-in-law. He played beautifully in the field, and old Roger Kramer was all around out there. With Phil Cavaretta nailed that one in the ninth inning, the last gasp of the Little Bears, and drove it almost to the center field wall. There was old Roger to snatch it out of the ivy or whatever that is that's growing out there. I'm not very good on uh, clinging vines or culling vines or whatnot, but something is growing out there, and he was right up against it when he got that one. The whole Detroit team played well. Richards got his first hit of the series. Cullen Bond switching over, a switch hitter you know, getting over on the right side of the plate after Prim had been relieved, put in the two-base hit down the third baseline. That was the smash that really uh, carried that big four-run rally for the Tigers, and it was his first hit of the series, and Richards then came through with his a little later on to score another run for his first hit. So they're hitting two, and the Cubs in spite of their defeat, were meeting the ball solidly. And as I said, it took some flashy feeling to peg them back. They'll be out there hitting again with Hack and Gavaretta and all of them playing the good game that they've played. By the way, Nicholson turned in the first Cub era of the series in right field this afternoon. So this has been a good series from a fielding standpoint beyond any question. Two errors for the Tigers in yesterday's game and one for the Cubs today, and that's all for the series. Well, broadcasting time tomorrow for the fifth game in this great series is 1.15 Eastern Standard Time, same as today. Plan to be with us, fans, and we'll have some more fun. Until then, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Al Halfer, Bill Slater, and Uncle Bill Coral. Remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.